0: Well, welcome to the Branch Online Sermon. Today we're beginning a five-week series looking at prayer. And I think there is nothing better that we can be doing at the moment than to learn to pray. What we need at the moment more than anything is God. And prayer is how we speak to God. Even before this crisis came along, i have been thinking deeply about prayer in my own life and also in the life Of the church, I realized that while I prayed, prayer was not a fundamental part of my life. I prayed about lots of things, but I began to see that what was missing was my deep realization of the need of prayer. What was missing was the absolute dependence on God that drives prayer, the thinking that says, unless God is in this today, it's a waste of time. And as I've reflected on my own situation, I've begun to wonder whether the problem is not my problem alone. I've begun to wonder whether uh, prayer is really present at all in the life of the church. Where is it? It's not that no one prays, but where is the urgency, the perseverance, the desperate sense of our need of God? Gary Miller, in his book, Calling on the Name of the Lord, says that he wrote that book because of his growing concern that the church in the English-speaking world had stopped praying. He says that while in his circles there's been growth in biblically faithful preaching, in thoughtful and relational evangelism, in the commitment of small groups to direct engagement with the Bible, uh, while all those positive things have ha- had happened, on the flip side, the church in many places, he says, has stopped praying. And as we spend the next five weeks trying to learn to really pray, let me encourage you to not only ask the question, how am I going with prayer? But also to ask, how are we going with prayer? How are we as a church going with prayer? How are we as a Christian community going with prayer as well. How can we become a people who pray? Well, over the next few weeks, we'll be looking at a couple of different, a few different topics of prayer. We'll be thinking about prayer as communion with God. We'll be thinking about the challenge of prayer and the promise of prayer. And finally, the practice of prayer. And once the series is over as well, we'll be uh, having a, ministry training, a training night uh, by Zoom on digging deeper into the practice of prayer. So look out for emails about that. Uh, And also you'll find in the video description below uh, some links to valuable and useful books that you might uh, find helpful on the topic of prayer. But today we're starting by asking the question, what is prayer? We'll be looking at a number of different Bible passages, but the, the key passage to read is, is and the one that we'll keep coming back to, is Psalm 86. If you haven't read that yet, you might like to pause the video now and read it. Well, Psalm 86 is described in the heading as a prayer of David. David was one of the first kings of God's people, and this psalm is one of his prayers that was written down. And that's helpful for us because it shows us what prayer looks like and also what the content of prayer is. There are lots of prayers in the Bible that teach us about prayer. In fact, the Bible more often gives us or teaches us about prayer by showing us prayers more than it does by describing what prayer is. It gives us examples to follow. Jesus did that when he gave his disciples the Lord's Prayer. He was giving them a model of how to pray. But this prayer in Psalm 86, this prayer of David, is utterly remarkable for one reason. And it's a reason that you may almost miss. This prayer, together with all those other prayers, actually, is remarkable because... It exists at all. For those of us who have been Christians for a long time, we might completely overlook the fact that prayer exists. John Stark, in his book, The Possibility of Prayer, begins by highlighting what a remarkable idea prayer really is. He points out that the universe that we live in is unthinkably large. He talks about something called the Crab Nebula, which is an exploding star 4,200 light years away. Its light first reached Earth about 1,000 years ago. And that star is still exploding 100 years later. Uh, Not that you could see it today. Uh, To us, it looks completely stationary, though it explodes, it is exploding at, the rate of sort of 2900 times the size of the earth every day now in the scheme of things the crab nebula isn't even that incredible but here's the thing in the scale of a universe that is so much bigger than that exploding star in the scale of that universe what makes us think that we could speak to the maker of that universe and that he would pay attention to us. Massive stars are exploding. Billions of insects and animals and people cover even just our tiny little planet Earth in the middle of this vast universe. What makes us think that the God who made that and who sustains that, what makes us think that that God would listen to you or me? John Stark says, prayer is either the greatest insanity All the most wonderful news. He goes on, This is the universe we live in, where exploding stars that expand at the rate of 70 million miles a day can go unnoticed and unregistered to human beings, but where God keeps count of my tossing and gathers my tears. Who can believe it? But that is the astonishing reality of prayer. David writes, In his prayer in Psalm 86, when when I am in distress, I call to you. Why? Because you answer me. That's incredible. You can call out to the God of heaven and earth and he will listen. Or look at verse 17. For you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Take a moment just to let that sink in. David says that God has individually and personally helped him. What is prayer? It is speaking to the God who made the heavens and the earth and who upholds them and who listens and hears to us. That's what we do when we pray. We speak in person to the God who made the world, the God who watches over exploding stars. We speak to the God who makes the earth move around the sun. We, we speak to that God and he listens. He cares. He answers. Often we treat prayer as a great burden. We have to put our lives on hold so that we pray to God. We view it more as an obligation than an opportunity. But when we see what prayer is, we ought never to think like that again. Prayer is a chance to speak to the God of heaven and earth and be heard. So prayer is an extraordinary privilege. But what else can we say about prayer? Well, in answering that question, it's really helpful to understand when prayer first Began. I've always thought that prayer was a permanent fixture of human life, that it was there in the Garden of Eden and that it will continue in the new creation. But that's not actually the case. Gary Miller, in his book Calling on the Name of the Lord, points out that prayer actually begins in Genesis chapter 4. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to Genesis chapter 4, 26, or if you don't have a Bible, just listen to what it says there. Genesis 4, 26 says, Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Here we are in Genesis 4, and we're told that it's now that people began to call on the name of the Lord. Calling on the name of the Lord is another way of describing prayer. It's the language that David uses as well in Psalm 86. But the point is that it's not until after the fall of human beings into sin that prayer begins. You see, prayer was not actually needed before the fall. Why is that? Well, in the first place, it wasn't needed because God was there. Adam and Eve's interactions with God in the Garden of Garden of Eden, are framed not as prayers, but as direct conversations. They they spoke with God. So too, there are other times in the Bible where God speaks with people and they're not described as prayers. In Genesis 18, God appears to Abraham and they talk together. In Exodus, Moses speaks with God in the tent of meeting. We're told, as a man speaks with his friend. What makes those conversations is that God is there. They're conversations, not prayers, because God is present. What makes prayer, prayer, on the other hand, is that God is not physically present. Gary Miller defines prayer as the deliberate activity when human beings call on God when he is not immediately present. But prayer was not needed before the world for. Uh, before the fall into sin for another reason it was not needed because God was there but it was also not needed because the world was perfect now sin has entered the world the world is under a curse we suffer, we sin, we're sinned against and so we call on God to do something about it time and again when people pray in the Bible the prayer is focused on God coming and intervening and saving his people according to his promise you see that in Psalm 86 as well. David says, verse 3, Have mercy on me, Lord, for I call to you all day long. Or verse 7, when, I'm in, when I am in distress, I call to you. David is calling out to God to rescue him. The world is in a mess, and David is calling out for God to bring about his great gospel plan. Prayer is God's gift, to enable us to connect with him in a fallen world. It's his gift to enable us to connect with him when he's not immediately present. And it's his gift to enable us to call out for him to rescue us and to bring about his great gospel promises. Gary Miller writes, Prayer is God's gift to help us cope with life with him in the mess. A world where we ache and get distracted and struggle with sin and fail repeatedly. Prayer is designed for a world in which we hurt people and get hurt, where we let God down and ignore him, even though we belong to him. Prayer is a temporary balm in a world where so often we feel cut off from him, where we feel alone and discouraged and frustrated. But prayer will not always be necessary. Not only is prayer an extraordinary privilege, it's an essential gift for us to live in the world as we find it. Sin has separated us from God, but God has given us prayer as the means by which we might come into his presence and speak to him and be heard it enables us to speak with God with the God of heaven and earth and it enables us to speak to God and to tell him that the world isn't right and to, 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 to cry out for him to do something about it if ever the world wasn't right it's now the world is falling apart In countries around the world, people are dying in astonishing numbers. Uh, More people will undoubtedly die. For those of us who have known people who have died, one person is enough of a tragedy, let alone 144,000. Beyond the tragedy of lives being lost... 20 million people in America have filed for unemployment benefits in the last four weeks. To put that into perspective, the population of Australia is about 25 million. Job losses like that will probably happen here as well, no matter what the government does. Businesses will go under. People will lose their homes. It's expected that some countries in the world may be bankrupted by this crisis. And no matter how soon the current restrictions are lifted, we will be living with the ramifications of this crisis for generations. But in the midst of all that, what an unspeakable gift, what an extraordinary gift to be able to speak to the God of heaven and earth, to be able to come into his presence through prayer, To be able to speak with him, to call out to him for help, to call out for him, to do his work, to fulfill his great gospel promises, to bring people to himself through Jesus. So prayer is an extraordinary privilege. It's a gift from God to us for living in this fallen world But finally, it's crucial to know that prayer is ultimately also a response to God. The question that we need to answer rightly in order for us to pray is this. Am I making my way to God in prayer? Or has God made his way to me? John Stark puts the problem like this. He asks... Which is the more reasonable way? That humans transcend their insignificant existence and try to become great enough, holy enough, worthy enough for the God of the exploding stars to give attention to? Or that God in his love made himself lowly enough for us to know and embrace him? Either we must put on divinity or he must put on humanity. Which is more reasonable? Both seem like madness, but only one is good news. Which is true that God has taken on humanity and come to us, or that we can put on divinity and make our way to God? The answer to that, of course, is written on every page of the Bible. In Genesis 3, Right after Adam and Eve had fallen into sin, it was God who came calling to them, looking for them, not they who went calling after God. It was God who took the first step toward them. We see the same things in Psalm 86. David doesn't presume to come to God on his own merits. He comes to God on the basis of God's movement to him, on the basis of God's grace and mercy. For instance, David says in verse 5, You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call on you. Or verse 13, For great is your love toward me. You have delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. Or verse 15, But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. We don't make our way to God. God has made his way to us. The supreme example of that, of course, is the incarnation. That is when Jesus, the son of God, took on human flesh in order to make God known to us. He came full of grace and truth, full of grace and truth, so that we might meet and know God and speak with him again face to face. And in the cross, Jesus has made that a permanent possibility for us to be able to speak to God. If we trust in him, Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has given us access to God. As the writer of Hebrews says, we have access to God through a new and living way opened up for us by the body of Jesus. In other words, all our prayers flow out of God's prior grace out of God's prior gift. All our prayers flow out of what God has already done, not what we have done or have to do. All our prayers flow out of the gospel, the good news of what God has done in Jesus, what God is doing in Jesus, and what he will do when Jesus comes again. The reformer and theologian John Calvin wrote, just as faith is born from the gospel, so through the gospel, Our hearts are trained to call upon God's name. That is, the gospel trains us to pray. It trains us to call upon God through Jesus. It teaches us that prayer is not us climbing up the ladder to get to God. It's not us wrestling and sweating to make sure that God hears us. And does what we want. It's not us beating our breast. And afflicting ourselves. To earn a hearing. It's not us improving our lives. To make it more likely that God will hear us. It's not us twisting God's arm. The gospel teaches us. That prayer is not about us. Making our way to God. God has already come near to us. Prayer. Prayer is how we respond to God. Prayer is not the way. That we reach up to God. Prayer is the way that we respond to the God who has come near to us, who is standing beside us and bidding us to come to him. Prayer is the way that we present our requests to the God who is with us, who hears us, who wants to show us mercy when we come to him through Jesus. The gospel trains us to come as sinners, not as depressed sinners who don't expect anything good from God but as expectant sinners who anticipate receiving the mercy of God through Jesus. We can come messy, as Paul Miller says, we can come messy as sinners. Jesus says, uh, Miller writes, Jesus does not say, Come to me, all you who have learned how to concentrate in prayer, whose minds no longer wander, and I will give you rest. No, Jesus opens his arms to his needy children and says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If we don't come through Jesus, there's no way to God. But if we do come through Jesus, then we can come however we are and know that God hears us. Well, if you're struggling to pray because you don't think you're saying the right words or because you don't think you're a good enough Christian, know that there's no such requirements to come to God in prayer and to be heard. Know that you can come to God through Jesus Christ alone and God will hear you. Or if you're struggling to pray because you're distracted by all the fun things around you, then let me encourage you to begin praying because it's such an extraordinary privilege to be able to speak to the God of heaven and earth and know that he hears us. John Stark writes, We are in a universe made for prayer and perfect for beginners. Yes, principalities and powers tempt us to resist And we have habits and muscle memories that keep us distracted and fearful of quiet. Teach us to pray, Jesus' disciples asked him. There is much to learn, but it's easy to get started. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this privilege to do what we're doing now. To come to you, the God of heaven and earth and to know that you hear us. Lord, what a gift. When we think of the great expanse of the universe, when we think of all that there is just on this tiny planet, of all the people who are living now and have ever lived, to think that we can speak to you now and that you hear us is extraordinary. Lord, help us to take up that privilege. And Lord, thank you for the gift that prayer is in the world in which we live, in this fallen world. Thank you that through prayer, we can come into your presence, that we can connect with you, speak with you. Thank you that we can cry out to you to, to fulfill your gospel purposes, to do what you've promised in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we can lay all our burdens and cares on you and know that you hear us. And Lord, thank you that we can come as the sinners that we are. Lord, not in any expectation of our own goodness that you'll hear us because of how wonderful we are. No, Lord, we come only through Jesus to know that you have come to us, calling to us, speaking to us first in the Lord Jesus Christ, so that having received him, Lord, we might speak with you and be heard. Oh, Lord, hear us. O oh Lord, teach us to pray. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.